Hey there, it's Dr. Nazanin Mo'oli, and I want to chat with you about a key ingredient for a fabulous date night, feeling sexy. And come on, let's be real. What you wear plays a big part in how you rock that confidence. That's why I'm thrilled to introduce you to Quince. Quince brings you premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts starting at just $30, along with washable silk tops, 40-carat gold jewelry, and more. And guess what? All of their goodies are priced 50 to 80% lower than similar brands. By teaming up directly with top factories, Quince skipped the middleman and hands us the saving. Plus, they stick to factories with safe, ethical practices and top-notch fabrics and finishes. How awesome is that? Picking from Quince's website was tough because they have a ton of fabulous choices. I ended up going for their 100% washable silk sleep dress in champagne. And let me tell you, my husband was floored. He's convinced whoever rocks this is in for a blast. I'm going to record some content on that dress so you can see how fabulous is that dress. Elevate your date night style with Quince. Pop over to quince.com slash sexology for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's quince.com slash sexology to get free shipping and 365-day returns. quince.com slash sexology. Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Today, we're going to talk about how to have conversations around sexuality. What I notice is in different episodes, the common theme that I hear from our experts, from our researchers, therapists, is one of the key components of having great sex life and improving your sexual health is being able to give and receive sexual feedback. And I know how challenging it is if we're coming from the background that's shame-driven, And also, this is not a topic that we're comfortable about ourselves and also talking about it with other people. It's funny that at times I get parents in my office that they want to talk about sex with their children and teens and something comes came up and they want to kind of explore it with the kid. And it's just telling me, what should I say? And when it gets to the root of that, it seems like overall they never had conversation about uh, sexuality with their friends and with their partners. And that's why it's so hard for them to approach this topic with their children. So I invited one of my colleagues and a fellow podcasters that she's fantastic about creating meaningful, deep connections and having authentic communication. Our guest today is Rebecca Wong. Rebecca Wong LCSWR is a relationship therapist in New Paltz, New York, where she also resides with her husband, the spunky children, and a handful of four-legged fairy mischief makers. 
In her private practice, she works with adults and couples struggling in life, facing sexual issues, and in the break of divorce and parenting. Rebecca also moonlights as a workshop leader with the TMI Project, a nonprofit offering transformative memoir workshops and performances that invite storytellers and audience members to explore new perspective. Here's my conversation with Rebecca Wong. Welcome back to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I am so excited and honored to have Rebecca Wong on our show today. Rebecca, welcome to our show. Thank you for having me, Naz. I am so excited to have you on this show. I know before this interview, we briefly talked about our topic, and I can talk to you about this for hours. So we're going to talk about difficult conversation, especially when it comes to uh, sexuality, because it's hard to give feedback, receive feedback, and it is such an important part of improving our sex lives. So let us start with talking about why do you think, Rebecca, it's difficult to talk about sex with our partners? It's an uncomfortable conversation for so many because we haven't been guided in how to have these conversations. And we also haven't been guided in how to have difficult conversations. That is true. And part of the challenge is not knowing how how to approach the different topics. And also, I think when it comes to sex, it adds another la- layer of difficulty and vulnerability. Yeah, I, I believe many people don't know how to talk about sex. They don't know what is appropriate or just even just feel comfortable in their own skin opening up that conversation and then add that into this being an uncomfortable conversation. I don't know how to have uncomfortable conversations. And I don't know if I'm going to trigger you or if something I say is going to put you on the defensive. There's just a lot more layers there. Absolutely. And one of the things that I see even at times people have shame about their desires. We we were taught by the society that, you know, it's just good girls, they don't have desire or they don't think about sex. And here we are, we have these desires, we want to talk about it with our partners and can be very vulnerable and can trigger lots of shame, at least based on my experience. Oh, very much so. I I have women who come in and tell me about their fantasies and they tell me that they feel like their fantasies are a betrayal to their partners. I, f- I find that so often this is where something gets missed because often in our fantasy world, we have an ability to, to get to know something about ourselves, to, to unpack it much like we would a dream. And when we don't take that opportunity and explore it and have a rich dialogue around it, then we're missing something and something very true to us isn't being revealed. And also, we have such a narrow definition of quote unquote, what's normal. So most people, they didn't have good sex, sex education. So it's the sex education they received there was around like not getting pregnant and don't get STD. But there's nothing about pleasure. And most people learn it from like movies, porns. And when their sexuality doesn't fit that narrow image of sex, what's normal for sex, it can be very scary. And it's just hard to talk about it with other people, especially with our sex partners. Can we can we expand on that a little bit? Because I, I so agree with you there, Naz. And I think for for many women and men, 
we don't talk about what's pleasurable for women like ever anywhere, but we often talk about what men like. So if we're talking about a heteronormative couple, a lot of the energy and the attention is being placed on pleasuring him or what she might think is pleasurable to him or what he might think or has been told that she'll like when he does, but nobody's ever really talking about what feels good for her unique body. And she probably might not even know that. Right. And then we put this expectation on our partner that if we're talking about a heterosexual couple, that he needs to know what what would turn me on. Kind of this expectation of like, he, he needs to do this mind reading and know what gives me pleasure without even me knowing as you were talking about it. Yeah, that that's a pickle. Right. And also female sexuality is so much more complex. And you're right. We don't get enough education around that. And that's why many women have issues around reaching orgasm because they look at this, we like as a society, we have this image of woman like in porn. And as soon as they, they start the intercourse, the woman climax. And this is this huge scene of like, it's like fireworks of the person climaxing. And it's just, then people have this thought that that is what's expected and what is normal. And if we don't know our bodies, then that can be challenging. Have you seen the website OMG Yes? No, tell me about it. Oh, okay. I thought you would have seen this. All right. So, oh, it's O-M-G-Y-E-S, I think, dot com. But it's, oh my God, yes. And it's this interactive website that it, it there's a membership fee to join it. It is a little bit ex- on the explicit side, but it teaches women different ways that women have found to pleasure themselves. Oh, so interesting. And it's, it's, it's really well done. It's a lot of women talking and there's visuals. It shows you how these women like to be pleasured and how they pleasure themselves. So it's, it's a talk about education. It's like a new way of educating women around sexual pleasure. Right. So, so fascinating and so needed. Definitely. I want to check it out. Yeah. It's interesting, though, you know, even as someone who who studies all of this stuff, I, you know, subscribed to it and I went ahead and got myself a membership. And then all of a sudden I had this weird reaction. My husband and I had watched a bunch of it and I I felt like I didn't know what I was doing anymore because I had watched what other women were doing. And then what I knew to do for me somehow all of a sudden didn't apply, which was so bizarre. Like it was such a bizarre reaction to watching something educational. So I just want to put that out there as like a normative story that sometimes when we watch things, when we see things, we we tend to take them in and then we start judging ourselves and wondering like this thing that I usually do doesn't feel, you know, it, 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 I'm confused by it now. So I just kind of want to throw that out there, that even though there's these amazing resources out there, I think the best education all of us can have is just to spend time with our own bodies and to know what works. I am so glad you mentioned that because I had similar experiences. So part of this sex therapy certification for ASAC, we have to do lots of online classes, different education. And part of it was around like masturbation, diversity of vulvas. And these are, again, I'm, I'm very open about my sexuality and these issues were not an issue for me, but then learning people's experiences, watching those videos, I started doubting myself that, oh, is this normal if I'm normal? And that's, that's definitely a very important point that you're mentioning that our kind of tuning in with our body is the best tool. Touch yourself, see what feels good. 
I mean, there, there is no better form of education than that. If it feels good to you, then, then that's what brings you pleasure. Right. Our bodies can be the best navigation when it comes to sex. And one of the simple exercises that uh, sex therapists offer to clients, and I'm sure you at times recommended it, is like a mirror exercise of people kind of looking at their uh, genital and exploring it. Even with that, just sometimes some women are just so kind of shameful about their genitals and they have this negative feeling around that. And even like looking at their genital in the mirror can rise this strong emotions. Men and women alike, you know, I, I think we have so many different messages that at least in American society, but I'm sure all around the world, culturally, there's probably a lot of different messages around masturbation. And is it accepted? Was it accepted in your home? What were the stories that um, were told to you or that you took in? This stuff still applies in our adult lives. It, we still configure ourselves around these early messaging. Right. And even in the cases that we kind of have some understanding of what works for us, what gives us pleasure, it can be very hard to talk about it with our partner because of this, you're kind of putting yourself in this position of vulnerability. And at times your partner might read, like you were scared that you might, or your partner might read into that, like maybe she or he is not enough, or this is not, you're not enjoying it. So what are some of the guidance you have for us around talking about these issues? You know, I, I think so much of this comes down to how we bring stuff up, right? And I, I like working off of a model of getting everybody really comfortable with, with having difficult conversations, with knowing that like we're both in this and we want to be in it together, that that's an important conversation to have first and learning how to sit with ourselves and, and keep ourselves regulated and calm. So I very slowly work couples usually back into sex. And when we get back into sex, one of the earlier exercises that I do, and this is a little bit advanced because we've done a lot of work in our in my office already at this point, but one of the things that I'll do is I'll ask the partners if they're comfortable at home, not in the presence of me, <laughs> not in my office, but at home to, to masturbate. And then when they get more comfortable masturbating and they know what feels good for them, to invite their partners just to hold them or just to watch while they masturbate. There's something amazing about just being with your partner while they do what feels good to them and watching their face. Right. You learn a lot. You observe a lot. And that is a teaching moment. And it doesn't require a conversation. It requires a presence. And I think that's something that people don't do enough. They don't slow down enough and show each other, this is what feels good to me. Instead, they try to tell each other, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> and right. there's a really different reaction. It's a lot harder to take in. I'm doing it wrong. I'm not getting it right versus, oh, that's what you like. Right. And I think it's just such a can be such an erotic and powerful experience to witness your partner bringing her or himself to pleasure. And also it's nothing expected of you. It's not like, you know, you're bringing her to pleasure or bringing him to pleasure. You're just witnessing what works for her. And even just like seeing that can be very encouraging. And you said it's a teaching moment to see what she's doing that's working for her. 
Yeah. There's certainly some stuff to work through. Some couples get hung up on watching each other masturbate. But once you can sit with and tolerate those spaces within yourself and keep yourself regulated, observing is really liberating because it it puts you in a position of not getting anything wrong. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> you're you're there to to watch and to learn, maybe get excited, maybe get aroused. Watch your partner, hold your partner, be there for your partner as they are aroused, but you don't have a responsibility here. Your responsibility is not to please your partner. It's not to arouse your partner. It's not to get your partner off. That's their that's on them. They're taking care of themselves. So your work is really a lot simpler. Right. And I like that you're emphasizing keeping yourself regulated because I think part of the struggle that I see is people like their feeling of shame gets triggered or they because of their anxiety they have, sometimes they don't communicate clearly about what they want. What do they mean? And they blur out something that can be hurtful, might not might not be clear indication of what they want. So it's just, it's important to kind of be able to maintain your calm and kind of feel grounded when you're having this conversation. Or at the very least to notice when you're not feeling grounded. Right. Yeah. I think that that's, that's an important piece. And especially when we're talking about relating and connecting sexually and in, in more difficult moments, it's important for us to take responsibility for the things that we are supposed to take responsibility for. So it's not my partner's job when I'm feeling a wash of shame that came on because of some early messages I got in my childhood. It's not my partner's job to take care of that. That's my job. So I want to, at the very least, notice when that stuff is coming up. And I don't want to put it back on my partner and say, it's your fault that I'm feeling all of this right now. Such a powerful uh, realization. Because at times we get this in this rhythm of saying that I feel this because you do this versus kind of <laughs> noticing that I feel this because there are some ties to my back and past history and all the messages that I heard. Yeah. Or I don't know why I feel this, but this is how I feel. Right. And even verbalizing it can be powerful instead of trying <laughs> to fake like this cool collective image and like internally you're struggling. Yeah. And it can be a really connecting moment when a couple, maybe somebody is feeling something and it takes them out of the moment, but can their partner stay there with them and just hold that space, hold them, maybe just be physically hugging them or holding them and giving them the space to feel whatever they need to feel. That's another kind of intimate moment that can sometimes come out of awkward, disconnected sexual moments that aren't going the way you want them to go, but they can still end in connection. And when we're talking about this, it makes me wonder if you are at the receiving end of this conversation. Again, you love your partner, but they want something sexually that you're not interested or you're not ready. And I know like many of us struggle with the kind of this people pleasing kind of persona that we want to do something, but we don't like at times things that that thing might be something that you, you're not necessarily interested. So how can we support our partner that like they want to make sure that they're hurt, but still we are true to ourselves? Well, I think, you know, one of the things that is important here is to let your partner first know, like, I hear that this is what you're asking for. I, and, and 
but you also have to be really clear with how you feel about this. And that might be, I don't know how I feel about this yet. I need to think about this. I need to take some time. I'm not sure if this is something that I'm ready for. That's a legitimate answer. And it's important to say it if that's how you're feeling and not to wash over yourself, not to rush yourself through it, not to feel guilty that you don't know that, but to come in from a place of, I'm hearing that this is what you're asking for. And I need to sit with this. I need a little more time. Can we talk about it again? And then give them, give them an answer. Let them know when you'll come back to the conversation, not when you're going to have a solid yes or no, not when you're going to be ready to do X or Y, but when you're going to be ready to revisit this conversation with them. Can we talk about it again in an hour? Can we talk about it again tomorrow? Can we talk about it again next week? Can we talk about it again in five minutes? Whatever it is, I just need a little bit of time. And that might be time that you need to regulate yourself. It might be time that you need to sit with your feelings and thoughts, maybe sit with a journal or go to therapy or something along those lines to figure out how you feel about this thing. Once you feel grounded, you can come back into the conversation. And whether you agree or you disagree with your partner, you can talk from a place of I. This is how I feel. Not this is what's the matter with you and why did you ask me this thing? How am I not enough for you? Not that kind of place, which is a really dysregulated place. It's, it's provocative. It's triggering. It's going to instigate something between the two of you. But to come at it from a connecting place that says, this is, this is where I am right now. And I see that this is where you are. These are my needs. What are your needs? This is what feels good to me. This is what you're saying feels good to you. Maybe there's somewhere we can meet between here. Right. And I think such an important thing that you talked about, kind of letting your partner know that you're hearing them. Because what I notice at times, and again, I certainly been guilty of that, that we go to defending or saying what I don't want that. Instead of letting your partner know that I hear you, I see you, you're important, and this is how I'm feeling. Yeah, you are important. You matter to me. It matters to me that you have this need, and I am perplexed about why I'm feeling some resistance about it. So I, I want some time to sit with myself and figure that out because you matter to me. That's really different than getting defended. Right. And I think it's just so important to create this space and being present when you're having these conversations, because I feel that at times, because you're feeling ambivalent or you're feeling not sure about this like sexual act or something that's like because of the shame that we're feeling, we might not be clear that this is the conversation we're having. And I can talk about my personal experience that I took this um, sexual assessment classes that you have to take for for mm -hmm. ASAC. And part of it, it, they were showing the different kinds of pornography, erotica, range of different things that the goal is for our listeners that they don't know is just like to make sure that as a clinician, you're exposed to range of things. And I've noticed things in the class and I was talking about it with my husband afterward was, you know, this thing was, they showed this, this, this without saying that I think this was interesting. And he immediately said, oh my God, that seems like so time consuming. Who has time for that? <laughs> and I just, you know, and that, that moment I noticed that I didn't talk about it, that, okay, maybe that's something I'm interested in. I'm presenting it as a way that, oh, this is something I've seen. And I think it's just, we're, as, as we were talking about in the past, that's how at times we set our partners for failing. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's important for us to notice 
when we're opening up a conversation with our partners, what's the goal of this conversation? Is it to create distance or is it to bring us closer together? If we're looking to bring us closer together, if that's what my intention is when I'm having this conversation with you, then I want to set this conversation up in a way where I'm not going to be predicting the outcome is going to be bad from the first thing I say. So there are ways that I can do that. One of those ways is to keep the focus on this is this is how I feel. This is what I'm observing within myself, as opposed to pointing the finger at you. Because as soon as I point the finger at you, you're going to go on a defensive. Another thing that I can do is that I can come into this conversation and say, hey, I'm really curious about this, which again is keeping that focus on me. But it's also letting my partner know from the get-go, this is the conversation I want to be having with you. Right. And also taking the ownership of this is something that I'm interested in because at times I hear that couple saying that, you know, this is going to be great for us if we do this instead of saying that this is something I want. And I think it would be interesting to add this or like, what do you think about that instead of like kind of putting it on us as a couple will enjoy it. Right. Because maybe your partner is going to struggle to get there. Right. And at times we, we might do things that it's not it's neutral, but we do it because it's a pleasure. We choose to do it because it's pleasurable for our partners. And again, if we want to give that to them, then it's on us if we choose to do that. Right. You know, I'm, I'm just um, I'm thinking there are times where I might I might try something that my partner is curious about because I'm their curiosity piques my curiosity. Once I try it, I might or I might not be interested in doing it again. But I might try it that first time if they present it to me in a particular way that piques my curiosity too. Right. And that I feel our sexuality is evolving as our experiences changes. And that's, how, that's a great way of seeing what else is interesting you, what else can be erotic to us and increase our erotic energy. Yes. So also at times there are like power struggles in the couple that that was one of the other things we talked mm -hmm. about was like one one part of the couple like uh, hold the power outside the bedroom and the other person is like holding the power, sexual power in the bedroom. Uh, would that be OK if you talk about that? Oh, yeah. I love talking about power. So so often in couples. Power is something that is being dealt with relationally, whether it's about, you know, how we're managing our family life or um, who's bringing home more money in the household or who's paying the bills or who is doing more household chores. Power is something that exists within within a family, within a home, with, within a couple. And it also exists in the bedroom. However, sometimes it's easy to flip that power or play with different power dynamics in the bedroom. And that can be pretty exciting. For example, sometimes like a woman who um, is in the boardroom all day at work, she might really like to be more submissive in the bedroom. There are different ways that couples like to play with this kind of stuff. And it can be really exciting and really fun to explore this. It can also sometimes shock people when a different piece of that that power archetype starts to show up in the bedroom. Right. And that's such a common experience. I hear it all the time that like, you know, how sometimes when people are like how they present in the world, they want it to take on a different role in the bedroom. And that's going to be ch another challenging thing to talk about because the fear of judgment and how, how to bring it up with your partner. That's something else that can be hard. 
Yeah. It can be hard if we're not sure of why these things present within ourselves. And I think this is what I keep coming back to in all of these difficult conversations. So much of it starts at slowing down and just sitting with ourselves and understanding a little bit more. We might not understand it all. A lot of it might be unconscious, but understanding or getting curious about understanding what's happening within us. Because when we're curious about it, then we're not presenting it from a defended place. We're presenting it from a more open and join me here. Let's see what this is about. I, I'm feeling like maybe today I don't want to be the one to initiate. I'd really like for you to overpower me or whatever the thing is that we um, want to say to our partner to come at it from a place of, of curiosity. That tends to go over a lot better than when we come at it from a place of you're doing this wrong. This is how I want you to do it today. Or you're, why are you doing it that way? Curiosity usually always wins. Right. And also, definitely power play is something that can be an important, fun, adventurous part of the sexuality in the bedroom. But also, it's important to kind of acknowledge that we're holding the power. And when there is a, like, for example, I, I see some women that they feel powerless in their relationship. And in the bedroom, the way that they take the power is, and could be again, men or women, but I saw it most of the time I see it least in my clients, women, that they, because of the resentment, they refuse to have sex with their partner. And that's another that's, power dynamic. Right, sure. right. And I think it's just important to be mindful of that as well. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's really important to be mindful of. And I think sometimes this stuff happens on a lot of unconscious ways too. I've seen with, with couples where maybe the the male partner isn't feeling like he can express himself and, and he's not feeling seen or connected to that all of a sudden he starts exhibiting signs of erectile dysfunction in the relationship. He's not maybe exhibiting it when he's masturbating or in other places of his life, but he's exhibiting it when they're trying to connect sexually. So these types of things show up and conscious or unconscious, there are ways of feeling safe and that's really what power is about. Power is a play around how do we feel safe? It shows up unconsciously when we're not being conscious of it, when we're not dealing with it, when we're not looking at it in the relationship. And it can show up in a really fun way in the bedroom when we are being aware of it and we can actually literally play with it. Right. And you brought up the feeling seen thing. And I think it's such an important part of our sexuality that people at times, they don't pay attention to it. For example, you were talking about erectile dysfunction. I was thinking about some people that I work with. And yes, we do lots of behavioral interventions. But like when we kind of zoom out, they talk about how they feel kind of minimized. They feel not masculine outside their bedroom. And that caused some anxiety and impacts their performance in the bedroom as well. Yeah, I, I think also it's important for us to talk about the masculine and the feminine in terms of energy, because so often I think this is something that comes up in these kinds of conversations with my clients where there's a fluidity here. You know, to be a man doesn't mean to only exhibit masculine energy and to be a woman doesn't mean to only exhibit feminine energy. But there's there's a continuum, there's a fluidity and we all need all of it, honestly. And at different times, we show up in different ways. Some of it is societal and, and social and cultural programming. And some of it is just how we innately express ourselves and how we show up. A mother might take on a really mothering role in some aspects of her life, or she might be 
the boardroom executive and she might bring home all the money and her husband might be home with their children. Mm -hmm. And it can, it can all play with how we feel sexually and emotionally, how things get charged between us. And sometimes it can confuse conversations because in society we're taught one thing and in our lives we're living something a little different than what we were taught. And it can confuse us and can make us wonder if we're doing it right. And I'm so glad that you're bringing up this topic of masculine and feminine energy for our listeners that this is a new concept for them. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, I, I could tell you a little bit more about it. I don't, I don't know if I'm the expert in all of this, but I think it, an easy way to kind of describe this is that we all, we all know that when we're, well, when things get dysfunctional, let's talk about it from that angle. When things get dysfunctional, when things get out of balance and they can show up in like rageful, aggressive kind of ways. That's, that's a dysfunctional, out of balance, masculine energy and a more dysfunctional, out of balance, feminine energy might be shame, anxiety, depression, something along that line. But that doesn't mean that only men can be rageful and only women can be shameful. Mm -hmm. Right. It just means that that's kind of, that's an expression of when things are out of balance, when things are more in balance and harmonious, we all feel healthier. And we all get along better. We're all able to assert ourselves. That's a more masculine energy and nurture each other, which is a more feminine energy. But that doesn't mean that a man can't have those feminine qualities and that a woman can't have those masculine qualities. Healthy balance happens in between, kind of like yin and yang. Right, right. And again, I, I love that when you kind of like brought up the topic of it's something that it, in all of us, we have the masculine energy and feminine energy. And it's just important to kind of have them in a harmonious way. Yes. So I noticed that we are toward the end of our time, but I definitely want to make sure that we talk about all the wonderful contents and offerings that you have. I personally love your podcast and uh, <laughs> it's just, it's so refreshing to hear about a podcast that's kind of explore things in a more meaningful, deeper, thoughtful way. So tell us a little bit about how can our listeners get a hold of you? What are some of the offerings that you have at this time? Sure. So I have a podcast. It's called Practice of Being Seen. And it's, it's really about how to create deeply restorative ripples of change within ourselves and the world around us. And the majority of my, audi my listening audience are therapist change makers. As you know now, I'm a relationship therapist. And so I'm really speaking towards the relationship that we have with the world around us, but also the deeper relationships that we have within ourselves. So that's the podcast, The Practice of Being Seen, which is it's just a platform that I use to kind of start spreading the word about connectfulness, which is a methodology and my signature method that I'm really working into a lot these days. I believe that connectfulness begins with the practice of being seen, with that deeper dive, that looking inward and creating those ripples of transformation. What connectfulness is, though, is it's... Um, it's a research-based methodology that helps us to see and embrace all of the pieces of ourselves, the messy, the marvelous, and everything in between. And it comes at this all from the perspective that it takes a really brave discipline of consciously integrating and remembering who you are, what you're made of, and why you're here to get there. It's also an invitation to shed outdated layers and inhibitions and to reconnect with your own intuition and wisdom. 
because I believe that when we develop a regular daily practice of connecting with ourselves and the world around us, that's where we create those ripples of change. And that's where we can actually affect change in the world. And it all starts within ourselves, but that enables us to have the relationships we want to be having. So I also offer mentorship to other clinicians, other therapists, and I work in a therapeutic way with couples and individuals in the state of New York. One other offering that I have is I do offer couples intensive retreats with me in Phoenicia, New York at a wonderful resort called Menla, where the couples who come and they work with me for two nights, three days, deeply intensive. And they also have a range of spa treatments available to help and hold and nurture them and really work on that regulation stuff that we were talking about while, while they do their deep work. Excellent. So I make sure that I leave a link to the show notes about all this wonderful content, retreats, and the podcast that you have. And again, Rebecca, thank you so much for your time. This was so lovely to talk to you and I wish you a great day. Thank you very much, Naz. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Rebecca. I know communication is one of those things that I feel we can always improve. And like any other skills, it takes practice. So I encourage you to choose a small thing, either sex-related or non-sex-related, that you want to talk about with your partner. And practice some of the tools and recommendations that Rebecca mentioned and become curious about what happened when you brought that up to your partner, what happens if you're uh, planning to talk about it, what's your internal reaction, what was your partner's feedback, and what worked for you. And I think it's just not a matter of like perfecting the skill. It's a matter of just more about taking the courage and taking the first step to help you be more comfortable around this conversation. Anyhow, at the end, I want to make sure that you're subscribing to this show because I did a bunch of great interviews already with other sex therapists, psychologists, researchers in the field. And I would hate it if you missed those conversations. I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.